0: Lord, we've gathered in your house seeking the blessing of your presence, willing, Lord, to be taught, willing to change, but not powerful. Only, Lord, as your Spirit fills us and our lives are surrendered to you. So I'm praying, Lord, may this be a divine encounter. Guide now in the speaking, the listening, and the decision-making. May your spirit be here to anoint my lips, my tongue, hold me back from saying anything I shouldn't, give me a holy boldness to say what I should, and may souls be set free from wrong thinking and wrongdoing. May your name be honored and glorified by such worship. And now, Lord, we humble ourselves before you, knowing you've said where we gather in your name, you will be there. So banish the evil angels now, speak to our hearts, and may your spirit reign here. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to know the things that we know. Now, I'm going to read you a story I only referred to in the first service. This book comes out of Being Catholic Now. It it could come out of Being Baptist Now. It happens to come out of this book. I purchased this book recently. And the way I buy a book, especially when I'm buying used books, which is how I try to buy a lot of my books, because I don't have a lot of money, because my money's going the places I wanted to go to do what I wanted to do. Especially advance God cause and especially disciple my young people through Christian education. I pick this book up when I decide on a used book because there's lots of books. The Bible says you could multiply books to no end, and my wife would give a hearty amen to that. But I was reading in the Psalms recently that God trained David hands and fingers for war. Well, I don't hold a sword like he used to. I sit at a typewriter. These are part of my swords. Now, I want to read this paragraph to you, and I want you to get a sense of how it makes you feel. Now, this is written by a famous movie director, No longer practicing the Catholic faith, and this is part of the reason why. But as I said, this could have been called being Baptist now or being Methodist now because they all believe the same thing on this doctrine. But we don't. I remember a nun in front of the classroom striking a match and putting the match to her finger. We were all dumbstruck. We were six or seven at the time, and she said, My finger is like your soul, and the flame is the flames of hell, and that is how your soul burns for all time. They say to know him is to love him, but it doesn't sound like it to me. Now, as a Seventh-day Adventist denomination, we have been called to a proclamation completely different. We have been called to an announcement that the real good news is not get out of the eternal burning hell for free, but it's get to be with God forever. Those messages are as far apart as the north is from the south. And this morning here, I make no embarrassing remarks or apologies for the series I'm in, including this one, which is called the Renaissance of Seventh-day Adventism. Today's message is get out the magnifying glass Last week's was make up your mind. Friends, this church brings God no honor and no glory when it lacks the vitalizing power in three areas. So I'm going to tell you, there's three things I'm after today. I'm after the conversion of your pocketbook, your date book, and your Facebook. Now, if someone from off the street could look, at your ledger. Now, I know a lot of you don't do things with checkbooks anymore. It's all on your phone. But if they could spin through, if they could swipe through your checking account, if they were a trustworthy person, would your checking account say, Jesus is Lord? I want you to think about this for a minute. Then if they could go to your date book, your calendar on your iPhone or your Android device, and they looked at it and they swiped through it, Would there be enough entries that bring you to the house of worship or an act of service in the name of Christ that would say, Jesus is Lord? And then, if they were to measure the bonds of affection and brotherhood and sisterhood that you share with each other, would they say, Jesus is Lord? now i suspect there's quite a few people listening to me here today and by the way i am going to make an appeal at the end of the message nobody's going to have to get out of their seat i'm going to do worse to you than that i'm going to hand you a card and this card is going to be yours You can do with it as you will, of course, but ideally it's on stock heavy enough to keep for a while and you're going to be able to stick it in your Bible where you're going to look at it and the only eyes that need to set it on are yours and God's. But if somebody else's eyes see it, as long as it's not in something that belongs to you, they won't even know it's yours because you don't even put your name on it. But this is how it works anyway. So we're back at last week's sermon, this divine intimacy that Christ offers us. As I reminded you last week, the astronomers and mathematicians have determined that there are more stars in the universe than there are sands, grains of sand on the seashore. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 40 that God calls them out by name. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these things? Who calls them out one by one? and in Psalm 147 4 it says he determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names so when Ellen White could write in Counsels to teachers about our little Adam of earth she had no clue how prophetic as a prophet she was being because this little planet tucked away in this little galaxy is like a grain and do you think God could notice you were here? <laughs> And beyond that, notice the hairs on your head hem you out, according to Psalm 139, before and after. Uh, If you were to try to hide in the darkness, he's there, Psalm 139. This God who says, Sparrows don't fall to the ground without me noticing. This God who says, I know every word before it's on your lips. Is it possible that this call to divine intimacy has been ignored by Adventists, and thus we see the diseased condition of so many of our schools, churches, and families. Oh, it's time for a renaissance, all right. And you know the good news is? It's not that complex to achieve. It's time for the vibrancy and the joy and the power. We can't brush aside this invitation of the divine. Jesus, all along the way, is inviting us to make up our mind, to get a decision. And we saw this in the book of John last week. But this morning, I'm after something different. I'm after focus. Because you know what? I know that life is a battle and a march and that means if, I, if it's a battle and a march that means there's purpose to my person and I'm in a war. Now the worst thing that could happen to me have you ever had this moment? I grew up just a little too early there were no super soakers when I was a kid but we did have these little cheap squirt guns And oh, how I love to get up close to somebody when I was in a squirt gun fight and just unload on them. And the worst thing that could happen is when it just went... You couldn't hear it. It was sucking air. You were gone. No more ammo. My kids had super soakers, though. Simple fun. You pump those things up. You blast away. But you know what? Unless (laughs) there's not hooked to the hose and eventually you run out of water... But you know what? In the warfare I'm in, I don't want to run out of people, I don't want to run out of connection, and I don't want to run out of money, because that's how I'm waging my warfare in the name of Christ, on my knees with all of you. And by God's grace, God's helping us in this church. And by God's grace, he will help any church or any person who determines that they want to be engaged in this kind of warfare. But it is not for us to sort of march into church at 8.30, 10 o'clock, or 11.20 and find ourselves here only to get a little pep talk from someone in the army. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, Paul would write, but they are divine and powerful for destroying strongholds. So I want three things. God wants three things. Boots on the ground, ammunition in their pocket, and love in their hearts for each other. That's what I'm after. A deep bond, a prioritized calendar, and a prioritized pocketbook. And I have no doubt, since this is what a good business needs to run too, I have no, no doubt that I should not let the sons of this age be more shrewd than the sons of light. Can I hear an amen? So this renaissance isn't hard. You do it today. Do it this afternoon. Is your pocketbook converted? Is your date book converted? Or is this your only appointment here this week? Oh, I talk about this a lot. I will not stop talking about it <laughs> because there will be no renaissance without a gathering. When we look at the story in the book of Acts, they were all in one accord in one place. Acts chapter 2 says, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit came down. They were told to seek for the power. They were told to seek for it together. And when they did, they got it. And nothing's different today than it was 2,000 years ago. There is still a divine promise to gathering. Jesus doesn't say the promise. He does listen to us, but he makes a special promise for those who gather in his name. And shame on us if we could gather and two and three hundred instead of two or three, but we don't do it. It's a precious thing. You live in some of these countries where taking the name of Jesus might cost you your life. Getting with two or three people might be the closest thing to Christian fellowship and spiritual bonding that you're going to get. And, and it means something and it's done. You get to these places where we can all do what we want and life's about spiritual customer service. We don't treat each other as family. We relate to the church as a business. I'll take this. I won't take that. This serves me. This doesn't. And pretty soon, we've got no power. The power is in other places where it's wanted and it's needed. It can be here. Pocketbook, datebook, date book, Facebook. I'm looking for God to touch the hearts of all Seventh-day Adventists, especially starting here at Village. And they say, I am but a steward. This money is not mine. What we used to sing is we give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. We are still singing praise the Lord, and yes, praise God indeed that we can bring offerings. But our pocketbooks are not to advance multiple homes and unnecessary expenditures. Our stewardship is an advancement of the knowledge that there is a God who would rather die than be without you and would never burn you forever, even if you reject him. What are we doing with that stewardship? I'm looking for a conversion of the date book. If you want to see me, if you talk to me on Sabbath morning, I tell everybody the same thing. Call the secretary and get an appointment. Why? Because two things. Number one, I'm getting older and I'll forget you talk to me. Sorry. And number two, if I want it to happen, it gets written down. I see heads nodding. <laughs> If I want it to happen, it gets written down. If I want it to happen, it goes on the calendar. That means it's a prioritized place. But you know what? Jesus is not on some of our calendar. (laughs) Or we're approaching it like Jesus is only in this for me. But he's not. The truth of the matter is you didn't show up here at church this morning only to get blessed. You should have come here first seeking to be a blessing. God calls us through the prophet Ellen White to come into these gatherings to minister to each other, to be a missionary to each other. Nobody walks through this door only for themselves. We gather in the name of Christ. And by the way, we have some guests with us. It's really a beautiful thing. I love my church family. And today, we have a number of our pathfinders from Naples, Florida, the Sun Seekers, and they're worshiping here with us and you know there's fifty people in the drum corps coming up at Oshkosh now imagine fifty there's gonna be forty thousand forty five thousand people there and so they have forty five thousand people to pick from they need fifty for the drum corps this one club has provided ten percent of the drum corps all by itself you go sun seekers you be people of discipline you commit yourself to those extracurriculars in the name of Jesus And remember what the Bible says, see a man who excels in his work, he shall stand before kings. God bless you. And by the way, I should also add that uh, I'll tell a little bit more about this a few minutes later, but uh, Pastor Page and our third crew are in Fargo, North Dakota this morning worshiping with another group of people. And you know what? They will be a blessing for having been there and they will take away a blessing for having been there. When you go on your vacations, go to church. You go as a missionary. I'm afraid so many of us have started to relate. Well, I don't feel like doing that. We live in the most feely generation we've ever had. I wonder if that's why it's the most dysfunctional one we've ever had. I'm appealing to you. Make it a priority. When we were in Yellowstone, I don't know if they still do this, but in the uh, recreation hall there at Old Faithful, they have church. Ask me how I know. I've been there several times. my favorite national park. And you know, I've had some of the... I had one of the best potlucks I've ever had out in the parking lot of Old Faithful after church. Most of my kids are here today. You remember that? But it takes work to invest in people. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. What I want to know is, are you connected like this? I'm approaching this message different than I did the first. Acts chapter 20. He's talking to the leaders of the Ephesian church. I want to look especially at verse 25 and onward. We'll start with verse 24. He's on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Boy, that's quite a starting place. When Jesus is so fully enmeshed in who you are and your life is so fully committed, you trust him that he will do something with you. Your life won't be aimless or purposeless. He was completely content to fulfill the course Jesus picked out in him, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Ooh, bad news. Bad news. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And I want to hit the pause moment and say to every pastor and every teacher in the right time and in the right way, this is the way it's supposed to be for all of us. We're not passing by the discretionary sieve or screen But I I want you to understand what he's saying. I talk to you. I talk to you straight. I talk to you lovingly. I declare to you the whole truth. He admonished them. Go over to verse 35. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had sent these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud. Now, Paul did spend three years with this church. That's all. Little intermittent stops like this one. But this isn't the only place where the tears are flowing and the hearts are breaking. Go to chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 5. He's in Tyre. It says, When their days there were ended, he stayed there seven days, he left and he started on his journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Skip down to verses 12 to 14. When we had heard this, now they're in a different place. They're dealing with the Caesareans. He's moved on from Tyre. When they had heard this, in other words, the prophecy of Agabus, that Paul was going to be bound, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. Why am I reading these scriptures to you? Paul didn't spend a lot of time at Caesarea, and he didn't spend a lot of time at Tyre. He was the longest of all of his ministries in Ephesus. His next longest place was Corinth. What I want you to see is how bonded these people are. They have gone deep with Jesus. Short amounts of time have rendered deep attachments. Their hearts are open to love. Is there anybody in this church or the church you attend where if they left, you'd shed a tear? And if the answer is no, beyond your personality, because some people never shed tears over anything. But beyond that, could there be a simpler reason, and that simply is that the fabric of their life has not been woven into the fabric of yours? You know, love awakens love. And there's something exceptionally beautiful about being amongst a happy family. When I married into my wife's family, I just enjoyed being with them all. There was such a sweetness and a peace Don't you think in a world that's coming apart that that sweetness and peace would be a witness all by itself? It is. As a pastor in this church, there are times when word makes it back to me, the joyful fellowship that someone enjoyed while they were amongst us, but friends, if we ought not to forsake the assembling together as some are in the manner of doing, but all the more so as we see the day approaching. Maybe we need the emotional, relational, and spiritual energy that we would get from each other if we were here with each other. Now, I don't want to talk to the Teflon congregation. And I'm a mechanical person. I've prayed that the Lord would give me some, uh, I didn't use these words, but I've prayed for some armor-piercing ammunition today in my own homiletical arsenal. When I get to heaven and I'm planning to be there, and I walk up to Paul, I want to shake his hand. And look him in the eye and be of the order of fidelity that marked his life. I cannot be a hireling. I could be. But if I want to admonish like he admonished and declare to you the whole truth so that I could say when somebody says to me, what about so and so? Lord, their blood is not on my hands. I declare to them the whole truth. Now, wouldn't it be good of a God to make the way and the plan easy to understand? 120 people in an upper room or hundred and twenty blessed people upon whom special power was given, what would you give to have God place His imprimatur of acceptance on you through the knowledge that the Holy Spirit had been poured out into your heart? You were there, you felt the room shake, you heard the wind, at least the sound, you saw the flame. What would it be? Of course, some of you may not have the spiritual doubts I have about myself sometimes, like, Lord, how could you use me? How could you save me? But I suspect you all do. But you know, I'm afraid of a different kind of complacency. It's the one that somehow thinks God's a big grandpa up in heaven and he just doesn't have an end to, to really allow me to face myself at the end. There is a judgment. And in preparation for that judgment, we are to weave a divine fabric of togetherness. And with that encouragement, but with it also accountability, and we we are so fragilely linked together that I couldn't say anything to you without you losing your cool and being offended. All that spells is there's a way that seems right. But its end is death. And all it spells is you get to go there because society right now says, who is anybody to rain on your parade? Boots on the ground ammunition in my pocket in a bond that can't be broken people that will sacrifice for love people who will take risk paul leaves town and even though he was in these places for short periods of times mamas with babies are walking to the outskirts of town and kneeling down and praying with him and adult men are crying their eyes out and paul's saying would you please stop There's a bond for us to share together that goes way deeper than what maybe any of us have ever gone before. But how are we going to get there if we don't come together, if we don't show up? There could be a renaissance for Adventist education. There could be a renaissance for Adventist worship in his churches. There could be a renaissance for Adventist missionary work. But we're going to have to press in and press on together. And without that press, we will simply come apart. It's not okay it is not honorable to the Lord our pocketbooks need to be converted, our calendars need to be converted and we need to spend less time seeing what the people a thousand miles away are doing and start finding out a whole lot more about the people who live in Berrien County are doing that walk through these doors weekly and hopefully more than once turn over to 1 Corinthians I'm going to hit the pocketbook thing for just a minute here. And it's not me. <laughs> Don't be confused. These words are heavens. 2 Corinthians 9, one. The Bible is amazing if you'll slow down long enough to think about what's being said. It's superfluous. In other words, this is extra, over the top for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. What is that ministry to the saints? If you could look into the book of Corinthians chapter 8, you'd see it's financial giving in this case. That's what this is about. So I don't even need to talk to you about this. Well, the question could be asked, and Paul, why have you devoted two chapters to this? Because he wants us to be ready. Verse 2, For I know your readiness of which I boast about to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now listen, I put in my notes initially, Paul was a bragger. And then I thought, no, that doesn't sound right. The truth of the matter is, Paul went to lots of churches and he talked about this church and he used this church to get the other churches motivated to doing something. Paul said, I told them how quickly you responded. I told, you what, told them what you were doing. And you know what? That's what God wants to do through your church. I know this morning that's what God wants to do through this church. And I want to assure you, friends, God is doing that through this church. But it doesn't mean I don't need to do what Paul's doing. It's interesting what Paul's doing. He's saying, I don't need to write to you. I've been bragging about you everywhere, but I'm going to talk to you about it anyway. Verse 3, but I have sent the brethren... Not only does Paul not need to talk to them about it, he's arranged a plan, and he's sending some of his co-workers in ahead of even him getting there, so that all the momentum for this offering that needs to be collected is underway, so that that my boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that... As I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to speak of you would be put to shame by this confidence. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? I run around the North American division telling them how generous the village church is and how they're collecting money for for Poplar, for a church out there. But I haven't been back for a while and I'm not sure how you're doing. But I do know if I show with a bunch of other people from Wisconsin conference and the Montana conference and the Arkansas Louisiana conference and you haven't collected much it's going to look like I was just a bag of air. Paul says I'm sending them in advance to make sure what you seemed like you wanted to do and what you said you wanted to do you were going to do. In other words, Paul's leaving nothing to chance and neither am I. So I thought it necessary verse 5 to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand, he's a wise planner, a wise administrator, your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift not affected by covetousness. And we probably should pause right there. You know, every one of my children has started their adult life are in their adult life right now, they make lots more money than their daddy. That means there's probably a bunch of other young adults here for whom the same is true. And if you don't come here regularly, if you just happen to be here today, it doesn't matter. Most of our kids are getting the benefit of a wonderful educational system and the ones that come out of strong families are launched into success which is in some sense is easier to achieve today than others because there's so much more dysfunction than there used to be that the people who know how to show up on time and be friendly and have a little bit of polish Uh, they can climb up over the rest of the pack or God can put them up at the top a little easier than before. In other words, the quality of a Christ-like home is producing something that's more valuable to the world than ever before. Can you say amen? amen? But young people, you didn't arrive there on your own. That money's not yours. Your life is not yours. And neither is mine. I've been bought with a price and I'm called to glorify God. And the worst thing is is that those bountiful gifts can turn to covetousness and rot like the manna. We're seeing a blight because we've been told my generation onward, you go back one more generation than me, they weren't raised as customers. But everybody born... In the last 55 years, they've been told they're a customer and they're king. And if you think our kids have missed the message, you think again. But I want to tell you something. We're not king anywhere except the places that want our money. And if we're not careful, we will be slaves to our own covetous spirit. You weren't invested with that high-powered education and that great salary just so that you could live a great life. You were invested with those gifts so that you could make purpose out of meaninglessness, so that you could make a difference. And they certainly were never designed to be weaponized against you to make you a slave and a seduced one to the images, messages, and opportunities of this world. Every young adult listening to me, especially who has been catapulted to success by a strong foundation, ought to determine how much money they're going to live on and set a cap and go from there knowing the rest is to make the world a better place and advance the name of Christ. If the Baptists can do it, if Tony Campolo can do it, why can't the Adventists do it? producing more degreed people than ever. And by the way, friends, if ever we needed our businessmen and our tradesmen, you talk about the tradesmen, you talk about a rare bird, a rare breed, these people who know how to solve problems and make real life work. We need you to dedicate yourself to the cause of Christ and how you treat. The customers and what you do with your leadership skills and what you do with your money but i'm not quite done verse six is the principle paul was going to write even though he didn't need to he was going to make sure they were ready he wasn't going to leave anything to chance he was going to avoid embarrassment verse five is the plan verse six is the principle Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Is there anybody in here who's found this to be true? One or two. Is there anybody in here who's found this to be true? I wondered. I wonder how much more we should cast our bread beside the waters as we see the waters running polluted. There's a principle. Sow a little, get a little. Sow a lot, receive a lot. But you know what? It's all for a purpose. Verse 7. Make up your mind. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Why? Because up in heaven, God's heart is warmed when he sees his kids acting like him. Few things have made me happier in life when I've had one of my children say to me, Dad, did you see that person? Yeah, I saw him. I helped him out. If there's a purpose in our child-rearing, it's to expand their little hearts to be happy and joyful in service. All right. If I could bring up that slideshow, I want to show you something. Now, before I do, I'm going to tell you that uh, my wife and I, once we heard that Julie was going to Palau... Some somebody said to us, "You know, you ought to go see her while she's there." (laughs) We looked at it and we said, and, "And by the way, this is this. The first service didn't get this." I was at a yard sale the other day. It made me so happy. I don't know if they're here today. It made me so happy to see one of our doctors show up at that yard sale. You know what? Go to the yard sales. Get online. Bring up YouTube. Fix your own car. Try something new. Uh, You can learn anything. Make the Internet work for you. The way you give is you learn to save and sacrifice doing other things. Do it. So. I said to my wife, I don't think we can spend more money on a Christmas vacation to see Julie than we've spent on most of our last cars. Now why am I telling you this? Because on the phone yesterday with one of my friends who flies all around the world, I told him my daughter was being called to go serve as a missionary in Palau, he said, he we said, we said, you come with me to China next April and we'll go over and see her at Palau. Free gratis. What do you say to that? Yeah. yeah. Except for my wife. She's a teacher. She can't get off work. <laughs> Why am I telling you? You cannot. I don't know if I'll go or not. But you cannot. Get ahead of God on this giving thing. But you can fall behind. Now, before I go through this real quick, here's what I want to say to you. When I show up to do battle with my friends, my brothers and sisters, I'd plan to win. I didn't know this till the other day. I shouldn't be surprised. You know what next week, sab- next year, quarter Sabbath school is on? It's on Ezra and Nehemiah. Praise God. One of my favorite books, Nehemiah. I should not have been surprised when one of you said to me, someone told them they'll never get it done. What are you talking about? This is what it looked like three weeks ago. Two weeks of work got us this far. You add up the weeks. There was some, uh, someone else got the foundations in, so we could add maybe a week on. Let's call it three weeks. We pulled the tarps off. It was nasty. We pulled the blocks out. We started setting them in place. They went faster than we thought. We put the door frames in. We sat in the shade to stay somewhat cool. My third son, who spent three weeks with me out there, praise the Lord, none of them paid. Go and do thou likewise. Here we are looking down, waiting for the concrete to be poured. That's what it's going in, and that's what it looked like at the end of five days. There's a building out of the ground. But another group showed up, praise the Lord, and they started doing this and the tall parts the sanctuary, and this showed up, and this showed up, and then this went on, and pretty soon it looked like this at the end of the second week. And you know what? We had divine efficiency. And then they put the decking on, and just rolled out the ice and water shield, and then they put the doors and the windows in. You can't see the windows there because they've boarded them up so they don't get broken. And then you can see the windows there. They started putting the shingles on. And why do I have this on? Because every shingle is on this roof. There's a dried-in building. Can you say amen? Amen. And you know what? They pulled out of there at 4 o'clock yesterday. They're worshiping today in Fargo, North Dakota. And when they drove away, not only could you see this, But there's a building, there's a lighthouse waiting for the electricians and the plumbers and the drywallers and the tilers and the carpenters. Yes, my friends. God can move his cause forward. And I don't have time to remind you of the providential ways. There's an apartment in this building, so if Gary and Marla Marsh get to feeling better, or somebody else, they can show up. They don't have to buy a house. They don't have to run a house. The church is really people, and our greatest need is not buildings, but it is people. But when you start forming relationships, it's nice to call them to a place where God's name is worshipped and there's joy in the hearts of the believers. This, my friends, is a focused effort, and it's a win in the name of Jesus Christ and that's all God's people are ever do go from victory unto victory now little object lesson I haven't gone away one of our astute young people during this children's story spoke exactly of this. Now, I could shine a green laser around and tell you that it's a very focused light. Green lasers are the safest lasers and they're great for pointers. But a laser can be a very dangerous form of light because of its high intensity now I thought about having somebody who trusted me hold these balloons but then you might wonder if they popped them instead of me so let's see if it'll work again there's your pocketbook. there's your date book and there's Facebook that's the power of a focused life Now, that's a dangerous laser. Next week, I'm going to show you visually on the screen how a laser works. Every wave of light is exactly the same. And they line up in perfect form, and they come out with a perfect intensity. The friend who offered to take me to China has just bought a laser that will etch granite. course they cut metal and all kinds of things with it. As a matter of fact when I was a younger man a laser was used on my eye. It's a burning device. Before I came out here I prayed as I prayed always, Lord set me on fire and let the people watch you burn. This is God's cause. I'm not up here beating the air as Paul would say. Deacons, I'd like my cards, please, if the deacons will hand out the cards. I'm giving you something for you to think about. I'm giving you something for you to commit to to God. Jesus focuses everything until the great controversy is over on you and my salvation. Can our date book, our pocket book, and our socializing be turned for good? Use your Facebook, but don't let it use you. Gentlemen, could I have one of those cards, please? Thank you. This card has five options. There's no place to put your name. There's a quote on the bottom of it. I'm going to read the quote. In the past, there have been men, people, who, stirred by the love of Christ and the needs of the lost, have left the comforts of home and the society of friends, even that of wife and children, to go into foreign lands among idolaters and savages to proclaim the message of mercy. Many in that attempt have lost their lives. But others have been raised up to carry on the work. God is calling for men, people, who are willing to leave their farms, leave their businesses, if need be, leave their families to become missionaries for him. And the call will be answered. So what's your life about, friends? That old story that I've told at least two times before, the Chinese missionary who British Petroleum wanted to win over, they kept escalating the offer and finally said, here's the problem, you've got a job with a big salary that's not important, I've got a a job with a small salary that's very important. How many people today are being called to move in the name of Jesus? This is your card but before you leave this sanctuary it might be good for you to look at it and see if god in his divine providence who brought you here today and by the way we've been praying for the ones who would come here if hearing this message isn't in his providence and moving isn't in his providence number one i will faithfully return an honest his tithe some of you aren't doing this you're robbing yourselves god gave you nine-tenths of it to manage one-tenth of it he said just return it don't have to think about it i will take care of you if you're not faithfully returning a to tithe today's the day to say i will be a faithful recognizer that god brought me into existence and redeemed me and place me here to make a difference number two i will give systematic offerings this used to be called sister betsy in the beginning of our church's day i'm not sure How other churches have related to it, I don't believe that it is absolutely unique to Adventism, but it might be. You know what? We are funding a village church. It is funded by the local budget. We are funding a Michigan conference initiative. In a few weeks, there will be a District 9 campout at Campus Sobel. On Monday morning, I will drive up to Campus Sobel for ministers' meetings. That's funded by our Michigan Advance partners. Uh, John was giving an appeal for that here today. Some of you aren't doing this. It's just hit or miss, and it's maybe more miss than it is hit because you're not purposeful. I'm talking with you this morning about order in your lives. If you move on the things I'm talking about, order will come into your life. I'm calling you. God is calling you through me to be systematic in what you're doing. And of course you can't afford to do it. <laughs> of course you can't. That's how it always works. It just reminds me that at first it looks impossible, then it looks hard, and then it's done. God is faithful. Test him and see. Now the third one is where I'm hoping a sizable number of you will be. You came into the church twenty years ago and nothing has changed. I'm here to tell you today we cannot be men and women of integrity and say the world's falling apart but I'm just doing the same old same old I'm assuming by the time I get to the third box you've made a commitment to systematic offerings for those of you who have I'm inviting you to see what kind of improvement God have in mind and I put down on the paper the smallest whole number one percent some of you aren't doing anything systematically Try to run a business that way. The sons of this world should not be more shrewd than the sons of light. I'm inviting you. And I'm not inviting you to go where I'm not going. 1% more. The Hebrews gave 25% of their income. You may be a long ways from that, but you can move a percent at a time. That's what I'm doing. The fourth box is probably the second most important box on the page. He will find me at his house. I had a wedding here two years ago. I've been invited to weddings. I was at a wedding here last Sunday, a beautiful wedding. Thank you for inviting me to participate. You know what the big deal is at a wedding? People to celebrate with you. How do those invitations often go? Um, they request the pleasure of your presence or something along those lines. There's even a parable about nobody willing to come. But we can tisk tisk all those people in the parable, but why should God's house only be open? For a few hours out of the week and only be populated on sabbath morning we're missing out on the blessing spirit of prophecy says we should be where prayer is wont to be made and you know they were breaking bread and fellowshipping together in the temple every day now listen they couldn't keep that up forever august 14 two and a half weeks from today we will start 40 days of prayer. We're not even asking you to come to the sanctuary except on Friday, on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. You can come more often and pray with your prayer partner. I'm here to tell you on the 39th day of 40 days of prayer, my youngest son gave his life back to Christ. 39th. On September 23, we will start 12 nights in a row of proclaiming the exact opposite of the candle under the finger. Wouldn't it be nice if people needed to put chairs along the pews or stand against the windows to listen? It's doable, but not without you. Those 40 days of prayer are to be bathed by the Holy Spirit and focused like a laser shot I've made arrangements for a 36-foot-tall redwood statue to be here. I've gone down and seen the city fathers. It's going to be erected right in front of our church, the image of Daniel II, It'll be like nothing you've ever seen, insured at $800,000. Coming to this conference for a period of two to three months, we are to startle the public with the prominence and the priority of our message and this image got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar and that image will get a hold of others what does it mean? what does it mean if we don't pray ourselves into readiness we have strategically planned for the last three or four decades it's time for us to strategically pray and the last one might seem most appropriate for a young person but it's for anybody that God moves on their heart I will dedicate a year of my life I'm talking about volunteer in full time service to God what are you doing with your life just making money Nope. I'm making a difference friends After God spoke this world into existence in Adam and Eve's sin, God touched the pause button. And with a laser shot of hope, He brought you and me an f- awareness of forgiveness of sins and an assurance of a place in His eternal home in heaven. You think the devil gave up without... A fight? Think not. If there was a moment of spiritual intensity, it was Gethsemane. If you don't think the burning, searing, desperate insecurities of man, weaknesses of the flesh, wanderings of the Son of God weren't in place, think again. So intense was the suffering, great drops of blood poured from the Savior's pores. His visage was marred but we can't be inconvenienced. Let's bring those two things together. Let's be recalibrated for the soon return of Jesus. Is your pocketbook converted? Is your datebook converted? And is your Facebook, is your socializing converted? Or is it all done vicariously through a screen? It's time to come together. We can have a renaissance. The wall can be rebuilt. And we can be a safe place to bring people with no breaches. May God help us do these three simple things. The card is yours. I pray, keep it in your Bible. Don't check a single box until you know which boxes you're supposed to check. But once you make that covenant with God...